0: Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Since it is spring for many of my listeners, I'm going to talk about leash walking. Not as basic and simple as some may think, leash walking can be a huge source of stress. I talk about common leash walking problems such as pulling, weaving, breaking, and lollygagging. I then hop into mainstream techniques and methods. Why they're effective and why aren't they? Why are we expected to simply let our dogs direct the walk? And if so, is that wrong? Should we have decompression walks? I then give general examples of exercises and snippets of advice to stimulate your creativity to incorporate exercises that allow you to bond, communicate, And change your dog's perception of your ability to calmly manage your walks. This leads to enjoyable walks for you and your dog. Before I begin, please support this podcast by leaving a rating or review on Apple. Please follow Upward Dogology on Instagram. There's lots of videos that have to do with leash work and leash reactivity. These are videos of clients. And also if you can follow Upward Dogology on Twitter and Facebook, there's lots of different sort of information on all these social medias. And on LinkedIn, I'm Billy Groom, and that is a great resource for connecting with me. Spreading awareness on canine cognitive behavioral therapy and upper dogology saves dogs' lives and really helps the people that are helping the dogs. I'm Billy Groom, your host and expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy, or CCBT. Speaking of which, for those listening who are interested in learning more about CCBT, please check out the first season of this podcast and on my website, uh, the link is in the show notes. You'll also find links to the media shows I'm on, including the one I was recently on, the LA Tribune Live, Ignite Your Essence. That show has loads of info. Uh, And many of the articles that are written about Upward Dogology, the links are there as well. So leash walking is different from leash reactivity. There are other episodes where I talk about leash reactivity because it's one of the more common reasons people hire me. Leash reactivity is often associated or stems from feelings of anxiety or stemming from what's associated with aggression. So CBT addresses the reason for the behavior, not the behavior itself, and that allows dogs to change their perception, to change their behavior. This is a different approach taken by that of conditioning methods, although both can be effective. And again, that's covered in season one on the different methods and and the different approaches that they take. So leash reactivity is different than leash walking because leash walking issues often stem simply from lack of focus or simply from being stubborn. There are many different types of leash walking problems from a dog that's pulling like a sled dog or the ones that weave back and forth like a drunken sailor or ones that lollygag like a Sunday driver. One common suggestion in mainstream dog training to prevent leash pulling is simply just to stop walking or turn around and go in the other direction. This is quintessential operant conditioning. The dog does an unwanted behavior and this is followed by what the dog does not want with the intent of discouraging that unwanted behavior. Sometimes this is effective and sometimes not. Why? Well, many dogs do not care which direction they walk in, or they just think that you're confused and walking back and forth. Getting them to sit translates into pull, sit, turn around, walk, walk back, turn a direction. They pull again, they sit, they pull again, they sit, they turn around. So I personally find this technique annoying, and I don't see it always making sense to the dogs. So let's talk about when the dogs put on the brakes or suddenly change direction or weave in and out. And putting on the brakes can be fear. So that's best addressed using CCBT to address the, the anxiety and the reason for the fear. If the behaviors are stemming from being stubborn or unfocused, do not pull your dog. Do not yell at your dog. Common recommendations are to distract with treats or teach the dog the look at me command. And again, these can be effective. They can also be annoying for the dog and the person. And they can be counterproductive because the dog needs to watch and look at the subject that's causing them to to pull or to weave or to freeze. And they need to check it out and read it longer. So as a result of mainstream methods not always being effective, with dogs over the age of six months. Industry leaders have convinced everyone it is recommended that you give your dog more time to watch, more time to sniff, provide enrichment stimulation by letting them choose the direction that they want to go. These are presented as though it is breakthrough. And I completely agree that you need to recognize the need for dogs to sniff and to watch, to absorb their surroundings and to make decisions. I've believed this for three decades. The way that they're presenting this is a complete cop-out because the methods are ineffective that they're using. And so they're convincing walkers just to give their dogs choice or just to let them sniff. And they're not providing solutions that give the walkers calm manageability and allow to decide that themselves. They're just saying, no, no, the dog can do what they want to do. What they need are solutions that are bonding and communicating, because let's face it, sometimes we're in a hurry, or we don't want our dog to sniff, for example, a dead animal, or we don't want to meet all our neighbors and their dogs, or we don't want to walk down a busy street at rush hour or on an icy sidewalk. So it doesn't make us horrible people if we're going to make those decisions. We just need to have the tools to make them calmly and have the dog adhere to what we're saying, which isn't always in his or her favor, and that's okay. So when the methods in mainstream dog training fall short, another way that people commonly try to fix this problem is trying different walking apparatuses. And it's common to buy a closet full based on the recommendations of experts or neighbors or someone who had a dog at some point that used some walking tool that worked. So let's talk about the essential factors if you're going to change your walking tool. Because changing a walking tool can solve the problem, absolutely. One, the dog has to like it. Two, it can't cause any negative effects, whether those are emotional or physical, and whether those are in the short term or the long term. Number three, they have to be safe and they have to be effective. A tool that meets these criteria with one dog may not meet the criteria for another dog. So, if a dog is pulling versus weaving versus lollygagging, you would need perhaps a different tool. So, for example, I I really like the Easy Walk harness for dogs, and I like that for dogs who pull or weave. But if they just put the brakes on, or they're lollygagging behind, a harness isn't always the best option. So, it's important not to pull the dog because once this happens, it's almost like you're doing a T-shirt thing where you're pulling like a t-shirt off a little kid, the dog gets that resistance and then just can pull out of the harness. So when that happens, well, for one, I am i mean, you have to have a, a lot of practice because a lot of the street dogs will do that and they know how to get out of just about anything. They're little Houdinis. So you need to be able to uh, use the the tool properly. And when that happens, I commonly just relax actually on it so that they can't pull out and then i move myself closer to the dog so i have my knee beside the ear and just regroup the situation on a personal note regarding the easy walk harness as much as i find it meets the criteria for many dogs they like it and it works really well i struggle with supporting the company that makes the easy walk which is pet safe partly because they also make e collars and shock collars and they are proud that they make a lot of restraining devices Despite the fact that they claim to be animal lovers, they also support hunting with dogs and they use shock collars or they recommend shock collars for hunting with these dogs. They find it somehow thrilling to watch an innocent animal run terrified out of its mind into a state of dehydration and exhaustion then to be mauled by a pack of dogs. And also on their website, it shows that their CEO and their vice president are proud to have run with the bulls in Pamplona. I do not agree with that. Don't even get me started on. It is of course important to use each tool correctly. And an example of this is the head halty. A dog has to like it often if it's used from puppyhood, you have a little bit better of a chance of the dog getting used to it, using it properly, not pulling. And it can actually stop pulling and weaving. I've never used this tool. I don't find the need to use it, but it can be effective. When it is used incorrectly, and that would be just pulling on the dog, just getting the dog to come along and relying 100% on the head halty, the dog will often strain to look back at another dog. And although that dog is restrained from reacting and and is pulled along and it actually works, it's challenging for that other dog across the street to read the dog in the head halty it's it's hard for them to read each other actually, because it's not giving them the time to do so and the dog being pulled along is not doing a natural behavior. So that can just cause some, I just find it interesting to watch these dogs trying to read each other. If you're going to use a tool, it, it needs to be in conjunction with using the dog's brain. Personally, I think the head Halti is a little bit of a cop-out. Although if my clients use it and they like it, then absolutely go ahead and keep using it. I as a behaviorist or even as a trainer would not rely on that tool. It it doesn't allow for bonding and communication and creating a connection between the human and the dog. So the best tool and the only tool I rely upon is the dog's brain. Although pulling on leash is technically the opposite of putting on the brakes and not the same as weaving or just stopping to sniff, The solution is often similar because what it really boils down to is your dog's perception of you and your ability to calmly manage situations and calmly manage your dog, give calm, clear guidance and direction while on a walk. So what is your dog's perception of a walk? I'll often ask my clients this because of the industry. They'll often say, well, it depends on the walk. Some of our walks are sniff walks and some of our walks are decompression walks and some of them are training walks or on a walk, we'll do one block training and one block is no training. It's a free for all. This is not what I mean by this at all. And it's not a good approach to do that. It's not the way dogs think and learn. What if suddenly a dog appears off leash on your decompression walk? And by the way, all walks are decompression walks. They should all be bonding and they should all be decompressing for yourself and your dog. Your dog's perception of the walk is defined by his or her ability to complete a basic exercise that they can do inside or outside. What is their perception of you on that walk? Do they feel that you have calm manageability? And so in order to test that, it's not about saying, "Oh no, you don't have to listen here, but you do have to listen there." In order to to get an idea of how your dog perceives this walk, you can just do any of your basic exercises that you can do at home, for example. So you don't need sit, by the way. It's beneficial for a dog to know a standing stay or a standing wait, whichever one you use. That's your reset. Your dog should be able to do that on a walk. They should have a clear understanding of the release command, which is commonly break free, okay, go, whatever your release command is. Commonly, for example, to go get the food bowl, and that release command should not coincide with your feet moving or for example the door opening when you first start your walk and these aren't difficult exercises but you need to do them and you need to make sure that your dog's brain is clicking over when you're giving that release command it's common at street corners to put a dog in a sit and then a stay or a wait and then as your feet go the dog goes why don't you try moving your feet without the dog going and you can repeat your reset Just to make sure that your dog is really focused on you and not just focused on movement or going when they feel like going. I know a lot of trainers, especially if they work in obedience or agility, they encourage going when the feet go. The reason that you don't want to do that is because you don't want your dog to be moving on motion. You want to be able to do all sorts of motions in between your reset and release. And you should be practicing that on a walk and making it more difficult and challenging and using your dog's brain. These are great exercises. And if you can't do them on a walk, do them at home. Do them at home first. Ask yourself, was I able to do a a sit if you want to do a sit or a reset or a lease or a recall? Any of your basic exercises when you're getting your dog prepared to go on a walk, when you're walking to the closet, putting on the leash, walking to the door, getting out the door. I don't care who goes out the door first, but all of these are great opportunities to be keeping your dog's brain focused. While you're on the walk, you could do some of those same commands when your dog, for example, decides that he or she wants to sniff a tree. Verbally give that reset. See if you can walk yourself up to the tree and then give your release command. Allow the dog to go to the tree. Allow the dog to sniff the tree. The reason you want to do this is because then you're deciding, yes, you can now go sniff this tree. And then when it's something disgusting, you can do your reset and then change your release command to come or leave it come or whatever you've taught in other areas or let's go. It really really depends on the client and how you've taught these words. You definitely need to teach these words at more difficult times than just basic puppy exercises using a treat, but that's for a whole different topic. But the idea is that you want to be keeping your dog focused all the time, not just when you're trying to fix a problem And then use those commands creatively when perhaps it's not in the dog's favor. So if you're feeling forced to pull your dog because the commands are just not working, just take a deep breath, walk yourself back to your dog. So your dog is stuck on sniffing something, so he's not going to go anywhere. Well, unless he comes with you, which would be great. But let's say he's stuck on sniffing something. Get yourself on the other side of him. Hopefully, you can do this calmly. You can try using your stay or wait. Walk yourself around to the other side. And gently guide your dog away from the object so that your knee is beside his ear and you're guiding him in the direction that you want to go. And you should practice that body disposition and leash work. You should practice that at home. You can just practice that in your backyard. You should always have a strong recall command because you can use that on walks. Unless, of course, you have a different one that's more associated with let's go Or let's walk. And again, all your commands need to be strong enough to be effective. So let's talk about this recall command because I find a way of teaching it so funny the ever so popular technique of running away, trying to be more exciting than the squirrel that your dog is focused on. And so you can't get your dog to come when called. So you're trying to be more exciting. This is not something I ever want to do. I don't want to be running away from my dog, trying to be more exciting. And it's also tricky to do when you're leash walking so don't get caught up in this system that convinces you you're a bad person because you don't let your dog sniff everything or that your dog should sit at every street corner which is kind of annoying and if it's bad weather I don't know if your dog really wants to sit or if the system you know tells you that you need to relax and let your dog make the decisions well you certainly need to relax but you need your tools to do that and should your dog make decisions? Absolutely. I mean, coming from me, because cognitive behavioral therapy is all about providing options, using the cognitive side of the brain, allowing them to make decisions. It's, it's a fundamental element of CBT. So remember the example that I gave of releasing your dog to sniff the tree? There's where your option comes in. So your dog could, could decide, yeah, actually, I do want to sniff the tree. Or maybe by that point, he's changed his mind. and He just wants to keep walking. Yeah, your release command right there in the middle of a walk is allowing him an option. But for the most part, you pretty much know he's going to go sniff that tree. So when he chooses that option, his reward is getting to sniff the tree. It's really calm and you're practicing skills. You're communicating and you're bonding. And then when you need to use those commands in other times where it's not in his favor, you have that to rely back on. The overall concept is not to get caught up in rules. Apply exercises your dog already knows as a reminder that you're on that walk together. Everything is not about right or wrong behavior, but simply letting your dog know that you are well aware of what's important to him or her. And sometimes it's okay to do things, and sometimes it's not. And you can relay that based on calm, clear direction. Leash walking is not a separate issue from anything else. It requires building a bond, communication and transferable exercises that use the cognitive skills. It doesn't rely on treats and rewards or distraction, but rather respecting the individual dog and recognizing what is important to them. I encourage you to try some of these exercises, but don't be disappointed if they're not effective based on the information provided in this episode. The exercises are just simply examples to give you some ideas. You need to be creative, And you need to apply them to your own situation. And this podcast is not intended to be a step-by-step instructional guide. Every dog is different. We're starting at different points. They know different things. They think differently. And there's different reasons for poor leash skills and different solutions. So for more information on CCBT, please visit my website and contact me if you have any questions. Thank you and I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for your interest in learning about canine cognitive behavioral therapy. Of course, feel free to reach out anytime. I understand how frustrating it can be to want so badly to help your dog, but feel at a loss. I pride myself on being non-judgmental. With over three decades in this industry, I've seen everything. If you want help with your dog, I can help you. Big shout out to the musicians Jeff Murdoch Band, Open Strum, and Brian John Harwood. Enjoy your learning journey. Yeah, I wish I could hear what you're thinking. You can't say the words, but buddy, I'm listening. Just know that I'll never stay mad. You're still my good boy.